are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. Well, good morning. Very happy to be here. This is the first time in my whole life I've ever been in Coal Lake. I'm coming back. And I'm bringing my family. However, I do have a connection with Coal Lake. Yes. Um, I had a friend. Well, he's still my friend. And he was the commander at the base a few years ago. How many of you are a Military. Okay, so his name is Duff Sullivan. Who remembers him? Yeah, so he's a general. He's retired now. And they got to know Duff and Marla and the boys. And then, of course, they had a girl after they left. And um, got to see a lot of military life with him. And uh, talked about his experience at Coal Lake, how much he loved Coal Lake. Uh, he was here as a pilot, flew forward air control in the Balkans, and then uh, worked at NORAD for a while, and then came back eventually to become the commander of the base, and then moved to Ottawa. And uh, I got to be part of what he sees in the life of the military. And so every Remembrance Day, I'm very mindful of the sacrifices that are made on our behalf. And I've had a few people in my family that were in the military. The first one was my great-grandfather who fought against the Bolsheviks in the Russian Revolution. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is that I grew up Mennonite. Isn't that funny? However, my family, there was not an ounce of pacifism in my family. And... um, I married an Irish wife, and she will tell you that there's not much pacifism in me even now. But um, I I am very, very grateful for people who serve in uh, police services, armed forces, uh, and the work that they do for us. So, yeah, amen. Amen. It is a sacrifice. It is a sacrifice. There's no doubt about that. I'm just going to move out of the Florida sun a little bit here. Well, I, uh, I need to pray. The, the, uh, the biggest challenge that I have, and I wrestle in my heart with God with this every time, is not what I'm supposed to say. It's what am I not supposed to say. And so if you'd pray with me, we'll surrender this time in the Word of God together. Father, we just invite you by the power of the Holy Spirit to come. Very grateful, Lord, for the opportunity to worship. Thank you for the worship team, the way they led us into your presence. And I want you to bless them and anoint them and all who are involved in that ministry. I want you to bless this church. I I want the face of Jesus to shine in this people. We live in a broken world. 
a, a world that is blind and lost and yet proud and arrogant and defiant. But your love softens the hardest heart. And your power reaches to the depths of who we are. And so, Father, as we open your word, Holy Spirit, this is your time. And we surrender this to you, Lord. For the person that's sitting beside us on either side or in front or behind, and maybe there's real stress in their life today. Maybe there's real pain in their life. Brokenness. Maybe, Lord, there's a cycle of sin going on. and They hate it. They hate it. They fight it. But they're just defeated constantly by it. And it's discouraging them and defeating them. And they don't know what to do about it. But today, today shine your light in the power of the Holy Spirit because you set the captives free. You open the prison doors of sin. Thanks be to God who leads us in the triumph in Christ Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you, Cole Lake uh, Church, for supporting the college. Um, I never ever in my life aspired to be the president of a Bible college. Like, who does that? I, uh, I actually had a career in finance. Um, well, first I was going to be in chemistry, and then God you know, switched my mind and pursued finance, and I became a chartered accountant. God help me. And uh, I took four years. Uh, I had a degree, took another four years to get that degree. And the day I graduated, my dad phoned me and said, now what? And he goes, and I said, I'm quitting. I said, I hate this work. This is the most boring thing anybody could ever do. And uh, he came in shortly with my grandfather, and we went out for lunch. And so my, my grandpa grew up in the Depression, and it was tough. I mean, my grandpa died with $4,000 in his bank account. That's all he had. And he said, so what are you going to do now? And I said, I'm quitting, Grandpa. And he didn't talk to me for three days. Because you don't leave that stability and that security. Except God was calling me to ministry. So then I went back for four more years of college. and Well, one year of college and three years of seminary. And I guess the testimony of my life is that our God is a transforming God. He changes people. He changes hearts. He changes minds. He changes the trajectory of someone's life. When I say that God makes all the difference, I've experienced that so many times in my life. I remember the day I was saved in spring of 1970-something. You know, doesn't really matter. I was really young. Well, I was 11. And a man by the name of David Wilkerson came to my town. 
and preached. And I can remember that I was in a hockey rink, which is a great place for me to get saved. I did a lot of other things in the hockey rink that we won't talk about today. And I remember coming and hearing him, and from the very first moment I walked in, the Holy Spirit was beating my heart with his love. And I surrendered to Jesus. And what a difference that made in my life. Uh, growing up in the Mennonite church, they don't talk very much about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They are very good Bible teachers. Any of you have a Mennonite background? Yeah, so Mennonites have great Bible teachers. They really do. And I had phenomenal Bible teachers. And God brought me to the point in my life where I was, as a Christian, I couldn't go any further. I could not go any further. And He knew what I needed. And so He, he brought me to Winnipeg while I was in finance. I moved to a firm called KPMG which is an international firm. And I started attending a church in downtown Winnipeg called Calvary Temple. Any of you familiar with Calvary Temple? So my pastor there was Pastor H.H. H. Barber. And uh, he brought a preacher in by the name of Barry Moore, an evangelist. And I fought with God for four days. I didn't sleep at night at all. God repeated in my heart over and over again those verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you build your life of wood, hay, or straw, the fire will test your life for what it's worth and everything will be consumed even though you might be saved. And God kept pounding on my heart, you are not building of your life what will stand the test of the refiner's fire. And so I, uh, every altar call, I mean, I went Wednesday, because I was taught when there's church, you go. So we, I went to church Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and the Spirit of God just kept pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling, and I would not respond. Too proud to whatever I was, Resistant, fearful. And I was so tired of not sleeping. If only literally to get God off my back, I knew I had to respond. So Sunday morning I went and he preached and oh, it was so powerful. And he gave the altar call and I wouldn't go. Like 12 years of university and you can be so stupid. So stupid. And I went home and I lay in my bed. I tried to sleep. And I said, I have two Baptist friends who have never darkened the door of a Pentecostal church. In fact, together we made fun of Pentecostals. And I said, I'm going to phone Wes and Glenn and if they come with me, I will go to church tonight and I will respond. And I phoned them up. I said, guys, we got a Pentecostal evangelist at church. Do you guys want to go to church with me tonight? Oh, sure, we'd love to go. <laughs> I was so disappointed. And I went to church that evening, 6 o'clock. Calvary Temple seats about 1,400 people. It was packed, like, I mean, packed. And they sat close to the front. 
Organs on the left side of the platform. I sat right on the aisle, right there. And I don't remember a word he said that night. All I knew, there was one thing I had to do. Is that when God called me, I had to go. And he gave the altar call. And I said, I know I'm going. I said, but I'm not going to be the only one up there. I said, me and 1,400 people, like I am not going to be the only one up there. And I waited an inordinate length of time. And they sang in response, and I thought, you know, and literally 80, 100, 150 people would respond every night. And then with my head down, I slipped out, and I walked to the front, and I looked up, and there's me and Barry Moore. And everything in my soul broke. And God revealed Himself to me again, and filled me with the Spirit of God in a way that I never could have comprehended. He literally took the brain that was in me out and put a new one in. And I didn't ask for that. But God knew what I needed. So when I say thank you for supporting Vanguard College, I want you to know that I see God doing that in the lives of young people at our college. I see them come in as one person and leave as somebody different. And what I communicate to all of our students is I don't really care if you're going into finance or law or medicine or plumbing or electrical, or IT, or nursing, or pastoral ministry, you are all called to a life of pastoral ministry. Every one of you is called to gospel ministry. And we're seeing God equip people and transform uh, young men and young women. How many of you have a student at Vanguard right now? Who's that? Clayton, Clayton yes. There's more. Maybe they're not here. We got about five or six students from Coal Lake. Yeah, Caleb and Naomi. Yes, that's right. Um, I love those kids, Clayton and and yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, well, we talked at the open house, did we not? Yeah, sure we did. That was an aside. That was a freebie. Um, So thank you for supporting the college. God is doing awesome, awesome things in our students. I want to talk to you today about sin and repentance. There's a story, if you read C.S. Lewis, if you read the Narnia Chronicles, if you read The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's a story there that I want to tell that illustrates a little bit of what I want to say today. There's a young man by the name of Eustace, and Eustace is a pain... Let's leave it at that. He is obnoxious, arrogant, and he is with his cousins and they get swept into this island, this deserted island. And they find a dragon and a dragon's hoard of gold. And the story goes that Eustace, through through his lust and his covetousness for gold, begins to accumulate and hoard. And he's enamored with this gold that he's found. 
And he falls asleep in this dragon's lair filled with gold. And he wakes up a dragon. He wakes up a dragon. Such a beautiful picture of what sin does to us. And as he wakes up, he has this pain in his arm. And, and this bracelet that he'd put on as a little boy now doesn't fit the arm and the claw of a dragon. And it's pinching and it's excruciatingly painful. And he wants to be free. He just wants to be a little boy again. And he flies around, connects with his cousins. They don't know what to do with him. I mean, nobody really has experience undragifying a boy. And, uh, and then he has this dream. And in his dream, he meets the protagonist of all of C.S. Lewis' Narnia Chronicles, Aslan, the dragon, or the, the lion. And Aslan is, of course, the type of Jesus. And so uh, he says, um, he encounters Jesus and he says, You have to take the skin off. And so Eustace, you know, thinks, How do I do that? So he sees his claws and he begins to peel chunks of dragon skin and scales off his body. And he thinks he's got it all off. And and he wants to wash in the pool, but as he gets close, he realizes that he's still covered. So he says, I have to dig deeper. And so he scratches deeper. And it hurts. And he does it again. And he thinks he's free. And then he comes to the pool only to realize that he's still a dragon. And then those terrifying words, and if you know Jesus, they are terrifying. He says, you must let me undress you. And he goes, he looks at the lion and he looks at the claws and he goes, this is going to hurt. And he talks about how the lion with his claws reaches deeper than he ever could. And the pain that was involved. And then the lion picks him up and he tosses him into this pool of water and Eustace realizes he's a boy again. Such a beautiful story of redemption. But it doesn't tell the whole story about sin. Because even though God transforms us, and He transfers us from the kingdom of light, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, and He makes us an enemy of God into a friend of God, the one thing that He does not do is remove the sin that lives within us. And I wish He would. I cannot tell you how many times in my life I've pleaded with God, take it away. We probably all know what it's like to struggle with sin and to fail and to struggle and to struggle and to fight and only to give in and temptation and to struggle and fail and repent and come to Jesus and say, I'm sorry and, and be determined now I'm going to get up and I'm going to move on only to realize that you stumble again. So what does it mean to be victorious? I want to, uh, you to remember 
something very important. And it will bless your whole life. And it will bless your soul. And it will be transformative in who you are as a child of the living God. And that is this. That your call to repentance is every day and every second of every day. And you will never come to a point in time in your whole life on this earth when you will not need to be engaged in and actively involved with repentance of sin. Sometimes we have communicated that when someone gets saved or even baptized in the Holy Spirit, that somehow it sets them into a place where they are this triumphant conqueror, almost invincible. And that, of course, is a lie from the pit of hell. It is. Because it can be so utterly crushing when you go through a season where you, there is apparent victory over a sin, only to be tempted, only to come into a circumstance, and it seduces an individual, and it grips hold of their heart, and the devil will plant these opportunities and take often months and years to plant them, and that person comes to a point of failure before God. You know, repentance is such a beautiful, beautiful word in the Scriptures. It means a couple of things. First of all, it means to turn or to change. To have a change of mind. Of course, when you become a Christian, what changes in your mind is that now you begin to know what sin is, and you call sin what it is. But there's another part of repentance that is not only a change of mind, but it is a change of behavior. John the Baptist looked at the Pharisees and said, Who warned you of the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Live a life that shows that you are repenting. Isaiah writes in the 30th chapter, In repentance and rest, you will find peace. And quietness and confidence will be your strength. So, let me say very clearly here, you can be a Christian in sin. Okay? You need to know that. Now that's not a good thing, but that is a true thing. That is true. You can be a Christian and struggle with sin and fail. You can be a Christian and you can be caught in a cycle of sin. A cycle in your life of sin. Now, it's all kinds of things. I don't really need to talk about specifics, but I want to. I want to because I want you to know that that's part of life as being a Christian in our world today. You can be a Christian and caught in a cycle of substance abuse. And hate it, but it has a hold on you. You can be a Christian 
And you can be caught in a cycle of sinful bitterness, unforgiveness. You can be a Christian and be caught in a cycle of anger. You can be a Christian and be caught in cycles of sexual addiction and sexual behaviors. And we have to talk about these things these days because it's just a real part of what it means to be a Christian in our world today. Now I'm telling you these things not to say that it's okay to keep going as long as you keep fighting. I'm here today to tell you that God has a way out for you. He has a way out for you. But you need to call it what it is. There are Christians today who struggle with, the, with a pornographic addiction. And maybe some of you do. That's very common in our world today. There are Christians who are caught in sexual practices in their life that are not pleasing to God. And they want to get out and they want to be free and they know it's wrong. They just keep getting pulled in and pulled in and pulled in. I'm not telling you here today that that's okay, but I'm telling you that that is the case. And that God has a way out for you. He does. If He doesn't, the Gospel is not true. If He doesn't, the Spirit of God is not holy. But He is the Spirit of holiness. And the Gospel is true. It is the power of God unto salvation. As Paul says in Romans 1, verse 16. There are Christians today who struggle with same-sex attraction. They say, I, wasn't, I didn't ask for this. This is in my life. I never chose it. It's just it's part of who I am. And they struggle with incredible guilt and shame. And if I could tell you anything as a church today, that is to make room in your hearts for people who struggle with same-sex attraction. And love them in the midst of their battle. Because God has a way through that for them. They're not second class Christians at all. And even if they're outside of Christ, they don't know Jesus, and they live a life of same-sex attraction, that doesn't make them worse sinners than you. It doesn't. There are three kinds of sin that the Bible talks about. So I'm just going to go to three different places in Romans 5, and then Romans 6, and then Romans 7. The first one is called original sin. So if you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, it's very helpful as we pursue a life of repentance to know what it is of which we need to repent. And so if we turn, if the idea of turning is in repentance, we need to ask two questions. What is it from which I am turning? And what is it to which I am turning? Because when you turn, you turn away from, and then you turn to. So very clearly, there's, I don't, we don't have to debate this at all. What we are turning from is sin. And we're turning from all three aspects of sin that we'll talk about. And turning from, in turning from sin, we are turning to God. To the awareness of God. To the promises of God in His Word. To faith in the God who redeems us and transforms us. So the first 
manifestation of sin is called original sin. Original sin. Augustine said that a child is a sinner before God not because of any sin that they have committed, but because of their origin. To be human is to be born in sin. Very important for us to understand that. So often we feel only responsible for our own failures. And there are enough of them to keep us busy, are there not? But we have responsibility beyond that. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Take your Bible out. I don't know if you write in your Bible, but I sure write in mine. Uh, I have... I have um, I'll be honest with you, I have 27 of these identical Bibles. And when I'm done and the pages start falling out and the binding comes in, I just put it on the shelf and I grab a new one and I start all over again. Because I like knowing that Romans chapter 5 starts in the left-hand page in the top corner. I like to know that Psalm 51 starts in the right-hand page, a third of the way down in the right-hand column. That's why I don't read my Bible on my phone very much. Because every time you open it, it's like it's a new place, and I don't like that. Anyway, that's maybe my eccentricity. Paul writes, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, as through one man, sin entered into the world. Original sin. As through one man, sin entered the world. And death through sin, and so death spread to all humanity because all sin. Verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. I didn't have to replicate Adam's sin to have sin as my master. But the very fact that I was born in, in, as an eventual descendant of Adam means I inherited the sin that came into the world through his rebellion to God. Wow, you know, I'm sorry, but that, that act, that one act in those five minutes of human history devastated us all. And it explains everything. I'm sorry, but the world does not need more education. It needs the gospel. It needs the gospel. Look at verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, and that's Adam, death reigned through the one. And then verse 18 at the beginning. So then, as through one transgression, Adam's one act of sin against God, there resulted condemnation to everyone. Well, we'll talk about this at the end again. We'll come back to this idea. What he did, that one act in that five-minute segment of human history brought condemnation to you and to me and to my wife and to my children and to my students, to all of us. Well, that's not fair. I am condemned because of what he did? That's not fair. Well, just hold that thought because I'm going to finish coming back to that. That's original sin. 
And we all struggle under the weight of original sin. And original sin, I don't really feel directly. I feel it indirectly. I feel it indirectly in the next two categories of sin, which is indwelling sin in me, and actual sin, the sins that I actually commit. Okay? That's why sin lives in me, and that's why I do things that are contrary to God, to His will, to His nature, to the Holy Spirit. That's why you and I continue to struggle with sin because of original sin. But I don't feel original sin. I just know it places me, Adam's one act places me under the wrath of God's judgment. It places me in danger of hell. These are things we don't talk about in church very much anymore, but we need to. We really need to. Secondly, we have indwelling sin. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I'm reading from Romans chapter 6, now verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Sin shall not be master over you. Verse 14, you read that? Sin shall not be master over you. Now the only way that that could possibly be true in your life is if sin was still in your life. If it was the intention of Jesus when He saved me and redeemed me and rescued me from the wrath of God, never to struggle with sin, He would have removed it from me, but then Paul would never have said, do not let sin be master over you because there would be no possibility of it. Of course, that day is coming. That day is coming when He will no longer say, do not let sin be master over you, because God will, when we see Jesus, transform Him into that very image, for we shall see Him as He is. He will redeem us and rescue us. You know, my son asked me really good questions about the faith, and he says, what's to prevent us from sinning in heaven? So the very same thing that's preventing Jesus from sinning at all. Absolute purity and perfection to the very core of your being. That day is coming, but it's not now. Indwelling sin. And indwelling sin shows itself in all of us differently. With some, it is the pull towards alcohol, drug abuse, substance abuse, prescription medication abuse. For others, that's not a temptation at all. It's not a pull. It's not a draw. For some people, it's same-sex attraction. They didn't ask for it. But they struggle with it. It's in their life. And somebody who doesn't can't really understand that. But we should be able to. Because for most people, it's actually heterosexual temptation that is our struggle. And I assure you on the blood of Jesus that heterosexual sin is not more sanctified than homosexual sin. It is as equally broken and as equally rebellious in the eyes of God. Just because it wears the clothes of normalcy 
doesn't mean it's okay. For some, sexual temptation is not really a big pull. Although I think for a lot of people in our highly sexualized culture, it is. And we really have Sigmund Freud to thank for where we're at today. Who turned humanity from identifying as God-created human beings to being primarily sexual beings. Freud did that. And we have been reaping evil fruit ever since. I could talk a long time about identity. And if you ever want to have me back, I'll come and talk to you about that. Well, we'll see how this morning goes. You don't have to commit yet. <laughs> Original sin leads me to experience indwelling sin. That pull that I have for that which inflames the desire in me to do what's wrong in the sight of God. That inner compulsion with which I have to fight every day of my life. And I wish I didn't, but I do. And of course, when I give in to that, we come to the third category after original sin and indwelling sin, and that's actual sin. The sins that I commit. And these are far too numerous to mention. The things we say, the way we say them. We fight, we hit, we yell, we curse, we blow up, we get into trouble online, on the internet. We begin to want what we shouldn't want. We allow ourselves permission to entertain things that God says are not healthy for us, the things in our life that the Holy Spirit will make you aware of, but you will go down that road anyway. That is actual sin. Not just actions, but words and desires, the scheming, the planning, the sinful daydreaming that goes on in the lives of Christians. That's sin. That's actual sin. So as I close this morning, I want to do two things. I want to talk about repentance and I want to talk about where we left Adam and saying that's not fair that I get condemned for what he did. It is so important in your life and in my life to take time every day to open your Bible and to be quiet and to be still and to take time with Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit of God to begin to speak to you and to begin to minister to you by His presence, by His holy presence, by the Word of God that is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And to begin to develop a practice in your life where you begin to repent of sin constantly. First of all, to recognize that you are responsible for what happened with Adam. You are part of Adam. And denying it and fighting God on it is not going to help you at all. What is going to help you, what is going to help me is beginning to call sin what it is. 
It is the destructive evil that has led to hell and condemnation. And it breaks lives, and it breaks families, and it breaks marriages, and it breaks children, and it breaks churches. And begin to have a sensitivity in your heart to what original sin is. And then to, to move closer in your own being with the Holy Spirit and with the Word of God and begin to recognize those things that are in you that are a compulsion to sin. The desires that you have. And I'll just illustrate with pornography online. Because you, you'll recognize that there will be a pull and a hunger and a longing and you will begin to gravitate towards that and you will begin to get yourself into trouble. And what you need to do is begin as soon as you sense it. And believe me, believe you me, the Holy Spirit is utterly holy. And He senses in you and He senses in me when that sin, that indwelling sin in us begins to be inflamed, whatever it is. And He will be right there if we will listen to Him. He will be right there. But if we learn and get into the habit of pushing that voice away and silencing that voice that sounds just like this at the beginning, you probably shouldn't do that. That's what it sounds like. I know Him. I've heard that so many times in my life. And I've resisted that voice so many times in my life. But don't. Learn to be sensitive. When something in you is rising up, that's not just temptation, that's sin. And it will bring destruction into your life. And death and pain and guilt. So, be, so begin to learn in repentance to recognize that willingness that's in you to sin against God who loves you. Against His holiness and His Word. Of course, the third area in which we need to practice repentance all the times are the actual sins that we commit. Take time to remember them before God. I yelled at my kid today again. I swore under my breath, or maybe out loud. I thought what I shouldn't have thought. You know what I did was wrong in your sight, Lord. If you need help, please memorize the 51st Psalm. It will help you practice a life of repentance. As I close, I'll go back to Adam and that where we left him, you know, pointing the finger, what you did, curse me, that's not fair. Well, the truth is, by His one act, condemnation came to all of us and judgment and the wrath of God against sin fell upon me because of what He did. But in this very same breath, Paul says in both verses, the 17th and the 18th, by the one act of Jesus Christ on the cross came righteousness to everyone. And if the sin of Adam attributed to me is not fair, neither is the righteousness of Jesus that is imputed to me fair. But it's true. It is true. Jesus undid Adam totally. And no longer do I have to identify with Adam as a sinner 
caught under the condemnation of God, but I can rejoice in the righteousness of Jesus by which a sinner is made the Son of God and the daughter of God. Such is the power of the Gospel. To forgive sin. And if you're here and you're struggling this morning with guilt and with condemnation, you can be forgiven in this very moment and be freed from the guilt and the condemnation that's on your heart. God does not want you to live with that. But it is that same power that justifies. That same power of the blood of Jesus that makes a sinner a child of God. It is that same power that makes a justified son of God and a justified daughter of God also a sanctified son of God and a sanctified daughter of God. Perfectly? Never. Never in this world. Sanctification is the direction I'm going towards God. I am allowing Jesus by His blood and by His power and the power of an endless life through the power of the Holy Spirit to transform me into His image. Do I look like Jesus? Well, I do in the eyes of God. I do in the eyes of God. But I don't always in my life. And in those areas, where I've experienced and where you've experienced constant failure and then repentance and then you find the cycle beginning again and you stumble again, I assure you today in the name of Jesus Christ that there is deliverance from that cycle. And it will cost you everything. Total devotion. Total pursuit of the living God. God can no longer be part of your life. He must be the sum total of your whole life. Everything. That's the only way Jesus said that you could be His disciple. That's the only way that you and I can experience true victory. Totally Him. The whole of our life. So, in a moment, I'm going to turn it back to Pastor, but I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. So would you bow with me, please? It may be you're here and you needed to hear that there is hope for the cycle of sin in your life. You struggle, you fail, you repent, you turn, you try, you, but it just keeps repeating and repeating and repeating and I'm just here to tell you today that's not the will of God for you. You can experience the power of God through total surrender, through living a life of repentance from sin, And becoming more sensitive to sin. Because what happens is when, when you've let sin take a big hold in your life, you've stopped being sensitive to it. And you've forgotten that God hates sin and that it separates you from Him. And all kinds of lies have been created in your life. And I'm here to, today by the, by the power of the Gospel to break through that hardness and those lies and tell you that Jesus will forgive you and He will also change you. And so if you're here today and you need to find forgiveness, you need to find hope to break out of this cycle of sin, I just want you to raise your hand and I want to pray for you. Yep. 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 Yes. Yep. 
Yeah. God will touch your life. Take to heart what I said. Follow His steps to obedience. Follow the Holy Spirit. He will help you. I guarantee it. God will not fail. He cannot fail. And so, Father, I just pray for every soul, every life, every man, every woman, child, who's raised their hand and said that by raising their hand, they're saying there is victory for sin. There is. I believe it. Even if right now in my life I'm not experiencing it. Father, I pray for Holy Spirit sensitivity in their life against sin. I pray they would be quick to repent. I pray they would be living lives in the Word of God. A life of communion with the Holy Spirit. God, deliverance from the cycle of sin is only sometimes a supernatural miracle. Most of the time, it is a battle. It is warfare. It is everyday warfare. And I pray you would breathe hope into their lives today that Jesus will bring me victory, that I will live a life of repentance. I also pray, Lord, for those today who feel that they are identified by their sin. That is such a lie from the devil. May they know that their identity is in the Son of God who loved them and gave Himself for them. May they know that today their identity is in the One who ever lives to make intercession for them. That they have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer they who live, but Christ who lives in them. And the life that thou, they now live every day in Coal Lake and everything that touches them, the life that they now live in the flesh, they live by faith in the Son of God who loved them and gave Himself for them. This is victory. Jesus is victory in the power of the Holy Spirit. We worship You, Lord. We praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Holy Community Church, a place where families come together.